This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. You are listening to the Thoughts from a Page podcast, which is a member of the Evergreen Podcasts Network. My name is Cindy Burnett, and I love to talk about books with anyone and everyone. While listening to my podcast, you will hear author interviews, behind-the-scenes conversations about various aspects of the publishing world, theme discussions with other book lovers, and more. For more book recommendations and a complete list of all of my interviews, check out my website, thoughtsfromapage.com, and follow me on Facebook and Instagram at Thoughts from a Page. In 2022, I would love for you to join my Patreon group. I offer at least two bonus episodes a month and a monthly advanced read and pre-publication author chat. For those on Facebook, I host a special Patreon Facebook group where we all chat books. Thanks so much to those who already participate, and I hope you will consider joining us. For today's behind-the-scenes episode, I am chatting with Brian Contine, Penguin's adult field rep for Texas, Oklahoma, and Colorado. Brian started selling books at Austin's Book People almost a quarter century ago. He worked at the University of Texas Press for about six years, where he had stints in editorial, marketing, and publicity, before finally landing in the sales department. About six years ago, he began working at Penguin Random House, selling the Penguin List to independent bookstores. He lives in San Antonio with his wife, two kiddos, and three dogs. I hope you enjoy our conversation. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome, Brian. How are you today? Great, great. How are you doing? I'm doing great, and I'm thrilled to pieces that you're joining me today for this behind-the-scenes episode, because you and I have known each other for a while, and I think your job is fascinating, and I can't wait to share it with all of my listeners. Awesome. I'm excited to be here. Hopefully, I can let them know what I do. You are Penguin's adult field rep for three states, Texas, Oklahoma, and Colorado. So I'd love to hear more about how you got started and then what your job entails. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, so I came to, I was in the Army, got out of the Army. Uh, I was at Fort Hood, so I came down to Austin, Texas, and I needed to get a little part-time job before I started school. And I started working at a bookstore in Austin called Book People, um, which uh, is a great bookstore. Definitely must see when you're in Texas or for any bookstore travelers. I worked there for a while, forgot about school because I loved it so much. Then I met a woman uh, who was my my rep, who was doing what I do uh, for Random House, named Gianna Mort, who had left Random House and who was uh, taking over at UT Press in the marketing and sales department. And she uh, asked me to apply for a couple jobs over there. I applied for a couple, didn't get the jobs. And then uh, the third time was the charm, and I got a job at the University of Texas Press. 
then worked there uh, in a number of departments from editorial to marketing, publicity, did a bunch of stuff. Uh, loved that place. Uh, eventually ended up in a sales, which um, felt really right for me. And then um, a position came open as the field sales rep for uh, the Penguin Adult List in, in Texas. Um, at that time, it was Oklahoma, Mississippi, and Louisiana. So I applied. I got the job. That's, that was about six years ago. And I've been selling this list ever since. When I saw that it had been six years, I was thinking, I guess I met you pretty early on in your job, which I didn't realize because you were already so good at it. I didn't realize that it was decently new to you then. Well, it's a, it's a pretty small community of, of folks. I had been selling books as an independent bookseller in Texas for a while. And then my job as a sales rep at UT Press, um, although really different in many ways than, than working for Penguin Random House, going into these independent stores and trying to explain to them your books and get them to hopefully bring in your books so then they can sell your books is, is the same. Um, I knew a lot of the Texas booksellers before I started at Penguin Random House. So I, I think I, I sort of hit the ground running with that. Yeah. So I, I, I think I, it was a good fit. I, I, I could start in many res, right? That makes perfect sense. Let's start talking about your job. So you are a field rep and you cover three states. And what you do, the way Penguin does it, is you have three seasons and you read up ahead of those seasons. You come up with the books you think are going to be big or that you recommend, or I'm sure you tailor it for certain stores as well. But And then you travel around to the stores in those three states and talk about the books and help booksellers order. Is that the process generally? Yeah, that's that's pretty much it. So it's um so I sell books for Penguin Adult. Now Penguin Adult Penguin is is one of the most uh sort of iconic names in the business. So people uh, will recognize the Penguin Penguin and all that, but Penguin are not the only books I sold. So with part of the Penguin Adult list, you have places like Viking and Riverhead and Putnam, Dutton, even DK, uh, along with sort of Penguin Classics and Penguin Press and, and sort of the traditional um, Penguin titles. So, yeah, so you sell three seasons. Uh, it changes season to season how many books are on the list, but anywhere from, you know, uh, 500 to sometimes even 1,000, like depends on, on the season. And I sell those to specific independent bookstores in Texas, Oklahoma, and, and Colorado. I sell the lists which come, which are sort of a, a fall, a spring, and a summer list. Usually, you know, I guess a rough estimate would be four months before the books go on sale. Um, although that's different because I can only sell once a season. Some books are early in the season, some books are later. But really, I'm working with the stores, hopefully on a daily or weekly basis to sort of keep them in the know about what's happening with the list, what's happening with media as, you know, advanced copies come up, what I can get to the booksellers, that that kind of stuff. So it's the the traditionally big scope of the of of the job is yet yeah, to go out and sell the lists to buyers at independent bookstores anymore. It's it's weekly daily emails sort of just trying to get as uh, the information to um, the booksellers that need it. And is Berkeley under you as well? Berkeley, yeah, I should have said Berkeley. It's one of my favorite lists in, in this list that I'm about to go out and sell. Um, you never try to, 
you know, count your chickens before they hatch or whatever. But it's, uh, I think the two biggest selling books on my next list are both going to be Berkeley list books. I thought they were because I knew you and I had spoken about Chanel Clayton when she was first switching to writing historical fiction. And so I was like, I think Berkeley is one of his imprints. Yeah, she's got a new book coming out too. I just, I, I got to read. I'd love Chanel Clayton. I, I think that her, I just f- feels like I've, after reading her, it feels like I visited Miami. I think she's a really special writer. I love her too. I love her books and I've interviewed her a couple times and she's just delightful to chat with as well. Oh, cool. See, I've never met her, but uh, I'm, I'm enjoying her books. And when whenever there's a new one that hits the inbox, I'm always like, yep, that, that's going to be the one I read next. So we were talking ahead of time and you said soon you were getting ready to head out for spring 2023, where you're going to visit stores and start selling this list that you're talking about with the Berkeley highlights. So tell me what that looks like for you. Okay. So so probably, let me get the dates exactly. Sometime in July, we had what was called a sales conference. I think it's called something else now, but most people in the industry will, will think of it as a sales conference where that would be sort of the the time when it, the imprints like Berkeley or, or Putnam or Riverhead will officially introduce um, the titles from the list to us. It takes about a week, a little bit less now than it, than it used to, um, where basically the uh, either the editor or the marketing publicity folks will, will get up and speak about the book and the, the field sales reps, amongst other people, will, will be there listening. Um, we'll have read a certain number of the books, but not all of the books, obviously. Um, and then we'll try to um, figure out the best plan to go out and sell the books. Then after I've been introduced to all these books and have started reading as much as I can, I'll spend um, the next couple weeks or maybe even a little bit longer um, building my materials in order to present them to my individual stores in the best way. And then I hit the road um, and, and present the books. We used to have paper catalogs that people would get, uh, buyers would get in the mail, but now it's all done digitally with this cool thing called Edelweiss. But yeah, so I'll go and see people like Valerie Kaler down at Blue Willow. She'll have looked through the 600 titles on my list. We'll talk about what um, would work for their store, what wouldn't work for their store, what bookseller wants to read what, possibly although that's not my area, but possibly who they might want to put an event proposal in for and uh, yeah, just general stuff like that. Try to get them to the space where they'll succeed with the list when it comes out. And you get them galleys for those books as well then. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, so advanced reader copies are a huge part of what I do. They're, they're um, nothing beats no, no marketing push, no publicity angle, no cover. Um, those things are all important, but nothing in my experience beats having a bookseller uh, that read the book. And I should say, I only sell to independent bookstores. I don't sell online or anything like that. So at an independent bookstore, having a bookseller read the book um, and enjoy the book is uh, the most important thing and the most um, important thing in terms of what will drive sales. So when you're visiting stores, say you go to Blue Willow and you're chatting with Valerie, do you highlight the ones that you really like? Do you highlight ones you think based on what they have had great success with before? Highlight books that, that okay, this was like this one that you 
loved and sold a ton of two years ago. I think you'd like this one. I mean, do you have those types of conversations? Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny because I, I think that booksellers like having conversations about books. So uh, if there's something that that comes up um, that is something that I love, I'm going to tell them about that. That being said, if I know uh, that they've enjoyed Chanel Clayton or Fiona Davis in the past, then I'm definitely going to highlight if they've got a new book coming out or if someone similar has a book coming out. Um, I'll highlight things that I know are going to be sort of slam dunks for them, like uh, Valerie's team loves Amor Tolls. It's getting weird how much they love Amor Tolls. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm joking, but uh, no, they, but so I will let them know about that book, but that's not much of a sell other than Amor Tolls has a book. Whereas introducing them to a new author is exciting. I know that uh, there's some, some booksellers there that are going to like some dark stuff. I know that uh, Kathy Burner is going to like all the romances, the rom coms. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, yeah. And the funny thing, this is this is an odd thing that happened that I didn't expect to happen. When I get these books in my inbox, I used to have this idea of what I like to read. But now, more and more, as I meet these booksellers and they like different things, whether it's sci fi fantasy, old firehouse in Fort Collins and Colorado has a buyer there named Allison who loves sci-fi fantasy. And she's got me hooked on all these books. Kathy's got me hooked on all the Berkeley romances. John um, down at murder by the books got me hooked on these cozies. (laughs) So I don't know whether what it is about me, but it used to be that I would sell what I liked or try to highlight what I liked, but it more and more, I think, I become, I'm starting to like what they like anyway. So we're just having conversations. So as books are coming in, you're thinking, oh, this will be perfect for John at Murder by the Book, or this will be perfect for Kathy at Blue Willow, instead of just thinking, oh, I really want to read this book. Yeah, 100%. I'm a big books or conversation pieces kind of guy. Um, I love talking about books. I love talking to people about the books that they enjoyed. And so, yeah, I will 100% when I, when a book comes in, I know um, that that this is some book that's you know lit in translation for someone that's going to win you know the Nobel Prize in ten years. So I'm like, okay, that's definitely Keaton. You know, there's there's all kinds of people that you meet, and then you can you can really just get excited about the book by putting their name next to it. And I know you live in Texas, and so we're talking a lot about Texas bookstores because we both know them. And you go and visit those. But do you go in person to the Oklahoma and Colorado stores as well? So, I mean, are you on the road a lot? Yeah, uh, um, definitely. So, I'm, I'm, I'm coming Monday, I'll, I'll, do, uh, what, I'll do the Colorado Mountain stores, which is – I split Colorado up into two different places. One would be the Denver area stores with Boulder and Fort Collins, and then one would be the mountain stores. So, come Monday, I will get an airplane early, and I'll be – in Frisco, Colorado, high up in the mountains before 10 o'clock, um, selling to these really cool stores that, that live in kind of small secluded spaces that I've, I haven't sold to them. This will be my second season selling to the Colorado stores. And, uh, I'm super excited about learning more about them. We go to Estes Park every summer and I love McDonald's bookstore, which is in Estes. Yeah. Love it. And then I'm trying to think of the name of the Denver. Is it Tattered Cover that's in Denver? Well, there's there, yeah, there's Tattered Cover, and then there's Book Bar, and there's Bookies, and, and there's a number of other places 
there that I don't sell to, but yeah, um, Tattered would be sort of the, the big one in Denver. And then um, if you go right up the road to um, Boulder, the city of Boulder, there's Boulder Bookstore up there, which is also an iconic Colorado store. But really, if you do sort of a tour of all the, the mountain towns in Colorado, you go to obviously Estes Park, you get McDonald, which is just a perfect bookstore. And then you get on the road and go over to Steamboat Springs. You, there's a bookstore called Off the Beat Path there, which is one of the coolest bookstores I've ever seen. Uh, really beautiful, great staff. You can go up to Aspen, see Explore Book Sellers. There's, and they're all unique and they're all wonderful um, little places. Bookworm of Edwards is one of my favorite places to go to, and that's in Edwards. It's just a really fun, fun place to uh, sell books. Plus, it's not it's not the worst thing to drive around the mountains in Colorado. Especially with the temperatures we're having in Austin and Houston and yeah. San Antonio right now. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You're like, I'm so excited to head to Colorado. I am ready. Yeah. That is something I need to do sometime when we're up there. Go visit some of those other towns and see the bookstores because I love to do that wherever I'm traveling. And it sounds like there are some great ones in Colorado. There is. And there's, I mean, there's also a lot that I only sell to a specific number of places. So I don't sell to everyone. But even, you know, if you get to uh, Maria's Bookshop in Durango or Ure, Booksellers in Ure, there's pretty much all these little, little towns that you go through might have a little, either a used bookshop or a new bookshop. And, And if they don't, then that's just, that's your opportunity to move there and build one. That's what I'll do. I'll scout all these. My husband will be like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm finding the town without a bookstore. Yes, the, the, little, the little town without the bookstore because they need it. And uh, yeah, it's a really unique, interesting way to sell books. And those places are tight-knit communities, but also tourist communities and, and these booksellers, um, as far as I've seen for the past couple of seasons, walk that tightrope exceptionally well. So you mentioned that you don't go to every bookstore or sell to every bookstore. How does that work? I sell as far as the field sales group. So um, for me, I have, uh, it fluctuates a little bit, but somewhere around 30 accounts that I call on. There are, um, uh, and I'm going to get this name probably wrong, but I, I remember them being in-house salespeople that, that they all live in Westminster and they sell by phone to a lot of the independent bookstores um, that, I, that we don't hit. And then there's um, uh, just customer service reps that sometimes handle other folks, but it, I don't want to say anything that that's not true or is part of the business that I don't understand. But yeah, it's we're assigned these accounts, and sometimes it's based on um, size of the city. Like, oh, well, you know, you're going to go to Houston, you're going to see all the Houston stores, um, a beautiful store out in Alpine, Texas, might be a little bit far to get to for for us, but it still deserves a solid rep. So they'll do those by phone. But yeah, that's kind of, I don't choose my stores. They, they they get assigned to me. So some of it's location. Some of it maybe is the size of the business the store does, what they're selling. And they send them to you and you say, great, these are my stores. Yeah. I mean, recently we changed over a little bit. I was selling in Mississippi and Louisiana um, and then got a call one day and said, well, we're going to move you over to Colorado. And so about half my stores changed and someone else took on those a really great rep named Diane Kerpa took on those uh, accounts from Mississippi and Louisiana and I took over 
um, the Colorado accounts. And yeah, you just, you got your list and you go fall in love with those stores. Well, and Mississippi has some great stores, Lemuria and Square Books. I, I think that every person that likes to travel to bookstores, I think that this this uh, sort of the Colorado mountain trip that I was talking about is is a, is a must. But the uh, another must is to go to the uh, Mississippi bookstores, Oxford, Mississippi, uh, where Richard Howorth has built Square Books with some really, really strong booksellers, Cody and Lynn there are. It's a must-see bookstore to me. And if you can do your trip during the Mississippi Book Festivals, which is a small book festival, but a really strong one, you can go down to Jackson and see Lemuria, which is John Evans has built just a beautiful, beautiful place there. Yeah, I think that they're both must-see. They are. They're both beautiful stores. My best friend from high school lives in Jackson and then went to Ole Miss. So they have a condo in Oxford. And so this last winter, we went into, I flew into Jackson and then we stayed there a night and I went to Lemuria again, which I've been to a number of times because she's there. And then we went up to Oxford and I went to Square Books and I just fell in love with it. It is such a beautiful store. I have a hat and I now wear it from there all the time. And every time I'm wearing it, somebody comments on the store. It's just wonderful. It's a special place. And, you know, you go to, you get to do, if you go to Lemuria, you could really spend all day in the store and see all the beautiful books that they bring in. They, they, they have a lot of these old hardcovers that maybe are hard to find anywhere else. They got antiquarian books. John and his staff are super smart and super nice. You can also just head over to uh, the Welty house and see where Eudora Welty lived, which I think is must see. And then you, you can head up to Oxford and see Square Books, eat some great food, and you can go to William Faulkner's house which is um, also must-see for, for book lovers. And I, I just think it's a really special space. And, and yeah, I, I loved going there for my work, and now I can't wait to go back there just as a tourist. Yeah, I agree completely. I thought Faulkner's home was so neat. And we didn't do Welties, but that's a good thing to add to my list next time I'm there. And I love Lemuria. And they have such a wonderful collection of Mississippi literature. I mean, much larger than most local literature sections. Yeah, I, I think that, uh, you know, Mississippi is a bigger, it's not not a lot of people that live in Mississippi in terms of population, but in terms of writers, the state of Mississippi has put out and is putting out currently, they, they're, they're, they're second to none. And that for sure, you know, just some, some great writers. Um, so yeah, you, you, could, you could spend a whole life trying to read the literature of Mississippi and never run out. I agree. I bought several that I haven't gotten to yet when I was there, but that's reminding me I need to bump them up my list. Yeah. Some accounts you've had for a while, but you've just had a switch, dropping Louisiana and Mississippi and adding Colorado. What's it like for you developing relationships with these Colorado booksellers and then continuing your relationships with the others? Like, what is that process like for you? Yes, it's, um, I love booksellers. It's a, you know, I especially love independent booksellers. I think I've been I've been in the book world for a couple of decades right now, and I and I, I think that the well, the, I think that the most intimate relationship, and you've talked to a lot of people, so maybe you could either say yay or nay on this, but the most intimate relationship to me is between um, the author and the editor, but a close second to me is between indie bookseller and their customer. It's a really special relationship. So, so I come into these bookstores meet these booksellers and try to let them know that that I'm not 
um, someone that's going to try to tell them to do anything, or I, I hope that my job is more of a facilitator of the relationship that they have with their customer. I want to try to get books into the bookseller's hands that they want to read and into the hand their hands that will hopefully help them get those books into readers that want to read them. So booksellers, to no one's surprise, love books, and I have lots of free books to give them. Um, so the relationship sort of builds itself on that as long as I'm not hopefully too pushy or as long as I let them know that I'm really I'm working for them in a lot of ways. And as far as learning the stores, I think book selling is as good as I've ever seen. I mean, it's only two decades that I've been going to these bookstores, but I think they're better now than they've ever been. And one of the things that these bookstores do very well is just scream personality when you walk into them. You know, uh, if you're looking what a bookstore is and what they want to be, um, their aspirations, what the people who work there are reading, which I think is very important, and what they, they are promoting. So, yeah, I think that I could do it. I could probably look at all these numbers on, on a computer screen, but going in there and just going to a staff selection wall um, or whatever that particular store has is really going to be the quickest way to to understand the personality of the store to me. I think you're exactly right that the two things you indicated walking into the store, just looking at how it's laid out, how it's formatted, and then looking at the staff picks are two great ways to get a sense for what a store is like. We were talking a little bit before we started recording about how many new stores are opening and how a lot of them are, are taking on a little bit bigger floor plans, spreading out a little bit more. And it's interesting to kind of see how things change over time. Yeah, yeah. You know that. And I love those old stores too. There's the the mythical, uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of Larry McMurtry's old used bookstore where, where you would hear these stories about just stacks and stacks of books in the corner. And But the new bookstores uh, that I see opening are showcasing books in such a um, special way that the books are up front, the displays are beautiful. Um, and I, I should say that it's not just the new bookstores. I think the bookstores that have been around for a long time um, are also doing these same things. But uh, I think everyone's learning from each other, um, whether it's um, Magic City in Tulsa, which is a newer store that's doing some really interesting things, or in Tarabang or Fabled, Larkinell. There's so many new bookstores out there right now, which is exciting. Um, it looks like it's going to be a viable business for for a long time. So uh, um, it's exciting to see new people come in while the older stores, I think people just had their 50th anniversary or something and Brazos has been around for forever and Square and Lemuria, like we're talking about, have also been around for forever. So it's, uh, um, it's exciting to see. Oh, absolutely. And I love some of the older stores, like you've said, that are iconic and you always hear about and you want to visit. I just think it's fun to have different types of stores and you can walk in and say, okay, this is more like this, or this is more open. This is more like piling through the books, like you said, or just, you know, different ways of displaying things. I think they're all wonderful and you certainly wouldn't want them to all be alike. No, and they're, and they're not right. So you get these, right. you get these stores. And um, I think that the independent bookstore, I don't know, uh, maybe they've gone over themselves a little bit, some of them are selling more and more genre type titles, and they're um, so you really get to see. Um, you go into a store, you're not going to see the same thing everywhere. 
you, you go to people might think it's crazy for uh, you go down to Houston and you have I know you know Houston you have murder by the book and Brazos bookstore that you could throw a baseball and hit one from the other right like they're they're so close together and you're like well how do these two bookstores survive and they've both survived and thrived for a long time right next to each other well it's because they're not they're both bookstores but they're not selling the same thing and they have a unique perspective and point of view um so the community is served by both of them being there right they have such distinct personalities that if you're looking for one book you're going to go to murder by the book if you're looking for another you're going to go to brazos and there's not much overlap at all yeah yeah and i and i if i was you know if i lived in rice village you know and i was i those were my local stores i would use both of them you know i, I don't i don't think you'd have to choose one or the other no i think that's exactly right and I really use Blue Willow and Murder by the Book the most because they line up with my reading taste and they're very different. They're much farther apart, but they're very different. So if I need one thing, I go to Murder by the Book. If I need another, I go to Blue Willow. And, you know, and Houston is an exciting place too. There's lots of, I think there's lots of uh, new bookstores that are sort of budding up and you even have Katie Books has a new space. I guess it's not new, but it's three or four years old now, but it's Katie Budget Books up in Katie. Like there's Houston's a great example of how a city can hold lots of bookstores and they can all thrive together. Absolutely. And I think that's just so wonderful. And it makes me so happy to see all of these stores opening alongside all of these wonderful stores that have been around for a long time and to see them all thriving. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a, um, it's exciting for, for me as someone who, you know, I like the ecosystem to be healthy and I like there to be the established places and the new places. And, and by the way, they, uh, we go to conventions and things like that. And all these bookstores are learning from each other and a new place like fabled might have an idea um, that is exciting to an established store like blue willow um, or, you know, and, and they, they all work together and they all seem to want each other to succeed. So it's a, it's a fun industry to work in. You touched on that earlier, and I was actually just getting ready to elaborate on that, and then you did, so that's perfect, that it is such a collaborative community. And we just went on vacation to Oregon and Washington, and I visited a bunch of stores on our trip, and one of them was Beach Books in Seaside, Oregon. And so I came back, and I was talking to Valerie, and she asked where all I'd visited. I told her, she goes, oh, I mentored the owner of Beach Books. So it's just so interesting, you know, the ABA has done a wonderful job of making these kind of connections for people and having the ability to be mentored when you're opening. And I do think stores are wonderful about sharing ideas with each other. And I think COVID really helped that even more than they already were doing. Yeah, it's, it's great. I mean, the pandemic and being shut down for, for however long each store was shut down for a different amount of time changed the way uh, these independent bookstores did business. And some of those changes are, are now going to be permanent. I was a bookseller, you know, 2000. And if someone had called the store and said, I want a copy of this book, can you please bring it out to my car? <laughs> You'd have been like, what? <laughs> I think it would have been, it would not have gone well, right? I think it would have been. But now uh, like curbside pickup is going to be maybe a thing for a lot of stores or uh, um booksellers understanding sort of how to reach out to communities and, and serve them in ways it was the pandemic was or, or is a terrible thing in, in a million different ways. But it's, um, but I think the businesses, these independent businesses from just that perspective 
um, have learned so much and they're going to be stronger going forward. Absolutely. The silver lining, because it was terrible and is terrible. But at least when you have those types of things, there are sometimes some positives or almost always some positives that come out. And I think one is helping these businesses become stronger and to utilize different things like social media and walking through the store, you know, on video and showing people what you have. I mean, all sorts of different things, but I'm still laughing about the walking the book out to the car. Well, on another note, and this is always something I'm completely fascinated by. So you have a book that's coming up like these two Berkeley titles and you're like, I know they're going to be big and I love them. And you go and you totally tell every one of your stores about them. And you're like, you really need them. And then they flop. Does that happen very often? Like, are there books that you're like, I'm going to, I just love this book and I know it's going to do great. And then it doesn't or vice versa. Like, oh, this book's okay. And then it just totally takes off. Does that happen much for you? Yeah. I mean, the short answer to that is, yeah, that, that happens both ways. The, the longer answer is uh, with books that I love personally or, or the, 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 the company I work for um, felt it should be a strong book and then does not perform early as well as maybe we would have liked the game, the game never ends. Right. So, so if I'm trying to think of, I always say this to my, my kids, we, we believe in this term called the power of yet. So a book, I will, I don't usually say a book doesn't work. I just say the book hasn't worked yet. Um, and we, we, we try to find a way, whether in paperback or to get, um, a bookseller to to use it for their book club or something like that. It's never never admit defeat. Just keep keep going forward with it. Find a way because if it's a good book and you believe in the book, um, hopefully uh, there's other people out there that will too. You know, and and as far as being surprised about a book that maybe you didn't think was going to do big things and does, that's super exciting. Um, and I'm not smart enough to figure out why or how that happens. I'm sure that there's people in my company that um, are trying to figure that out, and maybe they have figured it out. But my job when that happens is is just to sound the alarm, to make sure that the bookstores know that this book that maybe we didn't bring in heavy to start, it's exploding and you need to get on board now. We do, my company or a lot of companies, are getting faster and faster with reprints and speed with getting the books out. So if we miss something early, um, we can catch up pretty quick. That's a good point. I hadn't even thought of it from that perspective, that all of a sudden this book is everywhere. It wasn't really being hyped early on for whatever reason, but letting everybody know, okay, you need to get copies in because you're going to start having a parade of people asking about this book. Yeah. And it, and it's one of those, um, it's a beautiful thing to see where, you know, and, and again, I wish I had a better understanding of why this happens, but I think I've got an understanding, some small understanding of when I see it, I can recognize it. When a book just seems to have grabbed uh, the imagination of the readers and you can just watch it, you can watch it happen where it just, you know, that, that two becomes a four and that four becomes an eight, and then that eight becomes a 36, right? So it's, it's one of the more exciting things to see. It's a lot of fun. It is a lot of fun. And I think there are so many more outlets for that today with Book Talk and Instagram or Bookstagram and just the many different ways that books are, well, all these celebrity book clubs. I mean, just so many different ways that books are making their way out into the world. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, and then sometimes it's just pure word of mouth. Sometimes it's social. I'm, I think that uh, Octavia Butler was on the New York Times bestseller list for, for the first time, like two or three years ago. 
um, even though the book had been out for a long time, you know, and, and that's she should be on the bestseller list every every week, in my opinion. But it was so exciting to see a book sort of be reintroduced to to the world and, and explode like that. Absolutely. And I think the other thing that's happening is that with all these streaming services and they're all looking for content, so many more books are being made into these limited series when maybe they weren't a good fit for a a movie or they weren't a good fit for a long running series. There are now all these six episode, eight episode, 10 episode opportunities. And that means many more books are being turned into some type of on-screen production. And that's extending the life of a lot of books as well. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, I I don't know. Well, Last week, I sent an email to to my folks to let them know that the trailer for the Don DeLillo book White Noise came out, and they they might see an uptick in sales just from the trailer. Ewan McGregor was announced as the um, lead actor for the um, Gentleman in Moscow movie. Oh, really? Oh, I didn't even know that. So that will increase sales although i don't know how much you can increase sales and that that book does pretty well already but it's, yeah but sales will increase and so yeah so that kind of stuff that uh my buyers might not necessarily be watching access hollywood all day <laughs> that's the type of stuff that i hopefully i can help them with um by getting those those little tidbits out yeah and news is coming from so many different directions now that trying to filter it all is difficult yeah yeah and you know in I am overwhelmed with the number of books um, that I see and I, and you know, and it's exciting to see so many books and there's, I sell, I don't know how many books a year, but it's, um, but the buyers that I'm working with, you know, multiply that by 50. Hopefully I can just be um, helpful in giving them the short bullet points that will, will get them to the right answer. Absolutely. Well, that gets us to the most exciting part of this conversation, which is the books you are going to recommend today. I love talking about these books, and, and uh, I've got about five here, if the, if that's not too many. The first four are uh, recently on sale. Um, the last one um, is to be published that will come out um, September 6th, I think. So um, there's, there's four um, that anyone can go out and get at their indie today and then there's there's the fifth one would be awesome um for you to to call up and get a uh a pre-order on at an independent bookstore yeah i always say that honestly wherever you go to your library well that's true too or bookshop bookshop or um if you got an indie that you love then i I would i would recommend that first the first book is a viking book called the fisherman and the dragon by kirk wallace johnson um, this one, uh, it was on sale, came out August 9th, just, uh, just a little bit ago. Uh, it's a hardcover. People might remember uh, Johnson's previous book, The Feather Thief, which was a, a huge success. Was, I think it was particularly a success in uh, indie bookstores. It was, I think, particularly interesting for the indie market because it's a it was a unique subject. You know, there no one goes into the bookstore and said, uh, hey, um, can you show me the section where there's books about museum robberies and underground <laughs> trade of bird feathers? Right. It was a huge seller at Murder by the Book. Because, it, 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 you know, they sell, along with those mysteries and thrillers, they sell a great true crime list there. Right. But so, but it takes independent booksellers to read something like that to let them know. 
Um, this one is uh, um, a little bit of a, I think, a, a, a larger canvas, and I think um, a canvas that sort of speaks to uh, America um, and sort of uh, American history and America as a country of immigrants. The, this story, The Fisherman and the Dragon, is set uh, on the Texas Gulf Coast in the 70s and 80s. It describes the integration of a group of refugee fishermen from Vietnam into the the, the, the largely white community of established uh, shrimpers and fishermen in Galveston Bay. Temperatures uh, were raised, got a little hot. Uh, a man was murdered. The person who killed the man was was acquitted, not charged with the crime. Um, and this catches the attention of the national KKK who comes down to South Texas. It's, to me, interesting uh, in terms of American history, which is how these people uh, got here from Vietnam, what they saw when they first got here, how they caught resistance, but then um, sort of integrated into the community. It's um, got a lot of interesting stuff for foodies. Um, if you are at all interested in, you have the shrimp and grits that, that hit your table at the beautiful restaurant. How did those shrimp get there? If that's at all interesting to you, which I think is interesting to most people, um, this is a story of that. Um, and Kirk Wallace Johnson is an incredible storyteller. I am buying whatever he's selling um, from now till forever, just because he seems to pick stories that matter and stories that are interesting. I'm listening to that one right now. I'm about halfway through on Libro FM, and it is absolutely fascinating. I just usually listen when I'm working out, and I haven't had much time to do that lately, but I can't wait to get back to it. It's so interesting, and I loved The Feather Thief. Yeah, yeah. It's such a great book. Yeah. The next one is uh, one that came out a little bit further back, it published July 19th of this year. It's uh, from Riverhead, and this one is The Light We Give, uh, How Sick Wisdom Can Transform Your Life by a, a gentleman named Dr. Simran Jeet Singh. This is a really cool sort of growing space in the book world right now. I think it's sort of the elevated self-help personal growth. And this one is exciting to me for for a number of reasons. It, I would break it down. I think the, the one book is actually kind of three books. One is a memoir of Simran, who is a sick um, wears a turban, has since he was uh, uh, young, um, and uh, has done so in San Antonio, Texas. Um, sort of him growing up as a, a bit of an outsider um, because of that, but also um, as someone who um, cared very deeply for his community. And that's the second part is sort of introduced me to what it means to be uh, uh, sick and what uh, daily practices that Simran points out in the book, how they can be useful. And that was really interesting. And it's a very positive um, book and you will leave the book much more positive than you, than you came into it. And the third one is um, I think a really, the third um, thing about the book that I really liked was how it talks about this sort of activism and, uh, um, sort of hope for the future that Simran puts out into the world. And I think it's something that we can all try to emulate and do so go into the world with more empathy 
Um, and hopefully that will, will create better results than maybe the fist raising that we've done so far. Um, but it's a beautiful, beautiful book. I don't know that one at all. I'm going to have to go track it down. Yeah. I mean, it's on Libro. Um, if you want me to send you a copy, I can certainly can. Uh, it's, they've got it at Blue Well. They've sold a lot of copies at Blue Well. Um, but it's, uh, it's just a beautiful book. I think that you, you should read it with a pen because you're going to be underlining, uh, so many things. It's really, I think it's a special, special book. It sounds really good. I'd love that. Not the type of book I normally gravitate to either. You know, I'm, I'm a, traditional reader where I, I go to a lot of fiction. So this one was, was a little bit different for me, but I was from the first page, I was sort of just into it. Great. I love that recommendation. Thank you. Yeah. The, the next one, which just uh, went on sale last week, it's called Parish by a woman named Latoya Watkins. This is from a fairly new imprint called Tiny Reparations Books. And uh, Latoya She's from Dallas, um, the Dallas area. Um, I actually don't, I don't think she's from, she's a place from a place called Rollett, Texas, but Dallas is probably close enough for people to, to, to know where it is. And, you know, when something comes in and it's local, I'm predisposed to uh, be excited about it. Um, then you sort of hope that it's good. Um, this one knocked my socks off from the beginning. I saw the, I saw Latoya a while ago um, at uh, an event in Dallas and was also sort of just blown away um, by her. Uh, But then when I opened the book, the read is just so wonderful. It's, uh, it's got one of these literary um, it's got alternating characters, um, but set with just a wonderful pace. And these different characters are all told with different styles, um, which I think, is very difficult for an author to do and do well. Um, it just feels like a really mature, mature book. I think uh, if you've liked Jasmine Ward or Britt Bennett or even Tommy Orange, uh, you're going to love this book. There was um, some great articles that are lots of media around this one right now. And uh, I think Texas Monthly even uh, went so far as to call Latoya Watkins the closest thing to um, a Texas William Faulkner that we've seen. I think it's a really special book. I was just going to say that I picked up Texas Monthly. We used to subscribe to it and I need to resubscribe, but I picked it up when I was somewhere and I saw they had a big book section they were writing about and they did a huge profile on her and they called her the closest thing that Texas has to William Faulkner. So that book is, I have it from NetGalley and it's on my list. I just haven't gotten to it yet, but everybody's been raving about it. Yeah. I think it's, it's a really special, if you, you know, every, for fans of the Southern Gothic, out there, you know, we can debate whether Texas is in the South or not, but it's a, um, but it has that very Southern Gothic feel to it. It feels um, ripped from the earth and uh, um, it's just a beautiful book. And I love getting these debut authors. And then now I just wait for the next one, right? So I can't wait. I want to be around uh, Latoya Watkins for her whole career. I always say, I feel like it's getting in on the ground floor. Like I did that with Fiona Davis. You know, I read her very first book and now I just anxiously await each one as it comes out. And it's really fun to read their very first book and then just progress with them. Yeah. When I first started book selling many, many, many years ago, um, Zadie Smith's White Teeth had just come out. And I remember so much, how much energy was behind that book. And now she's gone 
you know, on to be, I, I think, if not the most, one of the most important writers of the past two decades. And, you know, I've been along for the ride and it just feels cool. Like, like I've, like I know her, even though I've been repeatedly told that I don't know her. <laughs> You're like, I, okay, I'm not allowed to do that anymore. But no, but I feel <laughs> like you feel like, you know, I, I was there from the beginning and that's a fun feeling. It's cool. It's cool. And not to brag again about independent bookstores, but independent bookstores have always been a great place for debut authors to be found. And I think that still holds true. Definitely. We were talking about the Berkeley list and sort of the big sellers on there. And then the big, biggest seller on the Berkeley list is probably Emily Henry. I'm certainly in my space. It's Emily Henry. But uh, coming up behind her right now is, is a woman named Allie Hazelwood. And her latest book was published on August 23rd, um, and it's called Love on the Brain. And this is part of the the Berkeley rom-com contemporary romance space that they've sort of, I don't want to say created, but I think uh, in in my humble opinion, since I sell their books, I think that they're they're just one of the creators of this uh, new um, excitement for these books. Allie Hazelwood is exciting because she does these STEM romances, um, which I think people are really excited about. And, you know, the love hypothesis is out there and still um, selling very well. But um, for people who are looking for a nice, light STEM romance, love on the brain is is going to be um, the place to go. My teenage daughter, she's 19, is a STEM student and just loves Allie Hazelwood. She's read both books. She loved The Love Hypothesis. She likes Love on the Brain even more. And she's also listened to the novellas that she has on Libro FM. She's a huge fan of hers. And I did actually ended up doing a Q&A on my blog with her. But um, I've heard nothing but great things about Allie and the books. No, it's, it's and I've never met Allie. And I, I would, uh, hopefully I will someday. But I, I'm excited to read her books. And I, I think that, you know, people like her and Helen Wong are doing these amazing books that, that you know, touch on science and just have captured the imagination of readers. Uh, yeah. It, I love these, these rom-coms that Berkeley's doing and, and I try to read as many as I can. There are some really fun ones. The next one I didn't realize I, I did is another Berkeley book. And this one um, is coming out September 6th. Um, so you can uh, put it on order, pre-order from your, wherever you pre-order from. And, but it's called killers of a certain age by Deanna Rayburn. And it's one of the, I don't want to uh, call it, I don't want to get any in trouble by recommending a book. Then people are going to be like, what did you recommend for me? But it's, it's, it's dark and it's got some, some stuff in there that uh, there's some murder in there and all these things, but it's also, I think, hilarious and funny and satirical and just perfect. Basically what the way this sort of origin story for this one is Deanna and, and her friends had been reading or, or hearing about how women of a certain age become invisible to society. Small things like the barista doesn't recognize them when they, when they come up to the counter or no one's opening the door for them, or they just seem to be ignored to, to big things. Like when they go to the doctor and the doctor is not listening to their questions and, and things like that. And so Rayborn, obviously um, maybe frustrated by this decided, you know, if we're going to be invisible, we might as well be spies. And so this is a book about uh, women of a certain age becoming uh, spies 
and it's sort of a La Femme Nikita meets the Golden Girls type thing. It's it's so much fun. It's so compelling. It's smart and is definitely a uh, it's got something to say. But it's also you can just sit down and enjoy this from cover to cover. I am so happy that you mentioned this book because I absolutely loved it. I've already interviewed Deanna and it'll air on her pub date because she's one of my favorites. And when I had interviewed her for her last Veronica Speedwell book last, I think, February, she told me about this book and I immediately got a copy. I read it super early and I just loved it. So I am so happy that you recommended it because I'm going to be telling everyone I know to read it. And it's it's just I love it. I love the tone that that she takes with it, and I love the cover. I love everything about it. And you know, I, I just think it's going to um, be a perfect book for people to sit down and read and enjoy, but also talk about. And she's such a great writer. She is, and she's such a great person to interview because she's so entertaining and engaging. So I was just thrilled to pieces. I love that Veronica Speedwell series as well. Yeah, and I think that this is, I, and you could probably say better. This one's a little bit different, definitely. Yeah, and so it's um, for it's a good way for for her to bring in some new fans, which I think this is going to bring in some new fans. Maybe some of those uh, folks that like Richard Osman or, or or folks like that, um, but also bring her old fans along because it's still she's still one of the best writers in the business. It's her first contemporary book. And she said it took her a while to get used to that, you know, that she's always written in the past. And so trying to write contemporary, it was it was really interesting to hear about how that was for her and kind of the whole process. So, yeah, I, I think it's a fabulous book. And as you said, it's hilarious, but it also really tackles some serious topics. And I, a lot of it resonated with me. So I was like, OK, this is a great book. Yeah. Yeah. I'm excited about it. And I'm excited to see what the public thinks about it because it's um i just think it's a really um wonderful accomplishment and it's a book of the month pick i think oh really i think so because i'm in a a group that does like spoilers and everything on facebook and it keeps showing up everywhere there so unless they have the spoilers wrong it's a book of the month pick we don't i don't know if we get those emails yeah <laughs> yeah i just have follow it only to see what they pick i don't do book of the month but i'm always just curious because again it's something that's going to really prop a book up so it's helpful to just see who's picking what and when. Yeah, yeah. Well, Brian, thank you so much for joining me today. I learned so much and I know all of my listeners will as well. And I just appreciate your time. Well, thank you so much. This has been a lot of fun. Thanks a lot. Don't you know that you're a grown up? I'm a grown up. Me too. Yep, me too. But you know, these days being a grown up can really suck. Luckily, we're grown ups who grew up in the coolest generation. We had video arcades. And also some of the best TV and movies ever made. We lived the origin of awesome consumer electronics. The list goes on and on. Yep, Generation X. Exactly. And we're Gen X Grown Up. Every week, the Gen X Grown Up podcast explores media, tech, toys, games, and more from both yesterday and today. Through the eyes of Generation Xers who absolutely love that stuff. You can find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Or find us on our website, genxgrownup.com. Alright, you think that was good enough? I, I hope so, man. I'm tired. <laughs> Who listens to a promo on a podcast and then goes and listens to a different podcast? Right. I, I, I've never done it. <laughs> Thank you so much for tuning in today. I really appreciate your taking the time to listen to my podcast. I want to quickly share about this wonderful company I am now partnering with. I am always looking for entities that promote and highlight books and recently came across book clubs, 
a company who provides all sorts of resources for established and new book clubs, as well as individual readers. My own personal book club recently signed up on book clubs, and the group has been impressed with all of the great tools the site and app provide. The book club's website is linked in my show notes, and I hope you will check them out soon. Also, if you like my show, I would be so grateful if you would tell everyone you know about it and rate it on whichever platform you listen on. It truly makes a huge difference and really helps the show grow. I hope you will check out some other Thoughts from a Page episodes and have a great day. I'm Allison Holland, host of the Kennedy Dynasty podcast. Equipped with a microphone and a long-term fascination of the Kennedy family, I am joined by an incredible cast of experts, friends, and guests to take you on a fun, relaxed, yet informative journey through history and pop culture. From book references to fashion to philanthropy to our modern expectations of the presidency itself, you'll see that there is so much more to Kennedy than just JFK or conspiracy theories. Join me for the Kennedy Dynasty podcast.